0: Good morning and welcome to HR Examiner's Executive Conversations. Today we're going to talk to somebody who's been on before, Jason Lawrenson.
1: Jason, how are you? I'm great. I'm thrilled to be here. I always love a conversation with you. Oh, thank
0: you. Would you take a moment for the there might be one or two people in the audience who don't recognize uh, your greatness. Would you take a moment to to introduce yourself?
1: I think that's probably a little a little high of a bar to set, but I'll do my I'll do my best. I do a few different things, but primarily I am a speaker and an author, and I do some advisory and consulting work in the kind of in the world that I describe as employee engagement and employee experience. And so that's where I spend most of my time. I spent about a decade of my life in corporate HR, kind of doing the work in the trenches, and now I try to help other people or inspire other people to do um, good work.
0: And this isn't just you stand up and talk about it. You um, led the research team at Quantum, Quantum Workplaces, best places to work, for for a good bit of time. So you actually have done the quantitative digging to have something to talk about. It's not just yeah. I'm
1: kind of a I'm a weird, form. unique kind of guy in that sense. And that I've done you know I've I've done I've I've done the work from an HR perspective. In that angle, you know, as well as being a manager and leading people, I've also done the research side of it and the study, working for a technology partner, also trying to help sell solutions to organizations to do it. And now, I'm kind of on the the sort of the third part, which is is helping people make sense of all of that based on my experience and how to kind of fit that together to actually make an impact. And so, I feel like I have a pretty informed perspective on the work.
0: That's that's interesting. One of the things that that I've often tried to reconcile is is there's nothing like the learning that comes from being a practitioner and having your hands in the actual work, but it's such a limited view. Right? You have to you have to find other places to stand to be able to see how your experience fits into the whole spectrum of what is HR.
1: Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I also think it I think it is As as I, at least one of the things I learned through the best places to work, through doing that, and that you know, being able to peek into a lot of different organizations and understand that, and then also through the work that Quantum did, just working with clients, I did led the client success team the last nine months. I was there ten months. Was that you know these problems all sound the same when we talk about them, the language we use, but they look and manifest very differently depending on the nature of your business and the nature of what work looks like and what you're trying to do. Um, So, yeah, I think that's really important.
0: Yeah. So, so you are on the streets with your second book, the first one, social gravity, harnessing the natural laws of relationships you wrote with Joker Stant, And now we've got the latest thing, unlocking high performance. Tell me about it.
1: That's right. So, you know, it, it's a book about, I've been thinking about, like, how do I describe the, the book in a, in a short in a short snapshot? And I, what I would say is that it's a book for people who, are, who recognize that the way we've been working isn't working. And, and a lot of the ways that we approach work hasn't been working, and they're ready to do something about it. But they're ready to do something about it. In a way that marries this conversation we've been having about how to create a more human workplace, which I think to some feels very squishy and soft, but is a super important thing, making work work for the humans. But marrying that together with an understanding that like the organization exists to perform, and so we can create a human workplace, but if that doesn't help the organization achieve its objectives and perform, or sort of meet its performance imperative, that it doesn't um, that you're not, you know, both of those things have to exist together in order for this solution to actually work. And so that's what the book, I think, fundamentally is about: is helping people solve for that.
0: So let's walk, let's walk through it a step at a time. What do you think isn't working about work?
1: Well, at the at its core, this was probably one of the biggest, I guess, gifts or aha moments that I had um, from my three years. Uh, with Quantum in the best places to work world was that we, we had this, you know, every year you know, we're, we, were, we were bringing in hundreds of thousands of employee survey responses. And every year uh, it had been a practice there that we'd do like an annual trends report. So we'd turn loose our IO psych, um wizards on the data and take a look at what kind of things were popping up, what kind of trends were we seeing, what things were driving overall satisfaction and engagement. And what was interesting is every year, I mean, so I saw it come up in the three years I was there, then look back on the older reports. And every year, there was the same kind of set of things that were bubbling to the top of the list. It was things like, you know, feeling valued and being appreciated and, and cared for at work, trust, you know, being trusted and being able to trust. All of these things that were when when you looked at those and those things were always at the you know in the top ten ish. And there were some other things that would pop in and out, but they were always up there. And when you when I stepped back and looked at that, it occurred to me that, you know, these are all relational constructs. These are all things that exist more often within a relationship than they do in what we think of as work. And then when you step back, when you, you understand, it's like, okay, well, as employees, they're sort of experiencing work relationally, but then you look at how we organize work, and work is really organized around this idea that kind of came to be, you know, when industrialization was, was happening, which is that we treat work like a contract with the employee. You know, I pay you money and offer you benefits, and then as employee, I expect you to give me your time and effort, and most of my systems of management are designed around ensuring compliance with that you can start to see a break between those two things that we're treating work as employers, like a contract with the employee. Employee is experiencing work as a relationship. And as you can imagine, that doesn't make for a very good, uh, a good experience um, for either the employer or (laughs) the, the employer sometimes. And so, and the managers and leaders are the ones that get caught in the middle. So I think fundamentally that's what's broken and needs to be addressed.
0: So, so, so you think? I, I believe. I believe you think that um, um, the company should recognize that it's a relationship. Start. Start behaving like that. Is that right?
1: Uh, yes. Yeah. So, the that's kind of what I then you know make the argument as to if we're going to solve this, we need to instead of we need to kind of think about redesigning the experience of work. So that it feels more like a healthy relationship for the employee so that it it meets those needs. And there's a and that doesn't mean, in a you know, I'm not talking about it. In a, I think, you know, you know, from reading the book, like that sounds on the surface like a very touchy feely thing, but it's very concrete. It, it, you know, it, it can fall into things like having very clear expectations and having, um, you know, clear expectations of one another right? That understanding that there's reciprocity in a healthy relationship and that we need to be clear about what the expectations are or clarity about communication and the way we communication, communicate and how accountability works and how we give each other feedback. Like all of that um, is still important and that's all part of work, but the way that we do it and the way we approach it needs to be reshaped so that it honors and builds relationship as opposed to just being kind of a you know, well, damn it, I pay you and you have to do this. And so I don't have to worry about how I do this. And so, um, so yeah, I think designing the workplace or the work experience to feel like a relationship is, is kind of the key that's underlying what I recommend.
0: So that it's interesting because if, if you read between the lines about the gig economy, you could, you Mm -hmm. could make case that what's happening is we're headed towards a more contractual relationship between, uh, the company and the worker rather than a less contractual relationship. So, so are you swimming against the tide or, or, uh, you know, there's, there's some talk recently about the gig economy stuff being blown out of proportion or, or, or what do you do about No, I, I, so here's how I would, I would,
1: I would interpret that. Um, I, I agree that I think it is, What I think is happening in the gig economy or what will happen is that the the contract actually is going to become real and explicit. And so instead of it being, instead of work being, you know, work as we have it, like traditional full-time work that probably should feel that much more like a relationship, it's actually going to be a contract. But at the same token, those organizations now, you know, they're, they're in a contractual relationship, but they're still going to need those people to, they're still going to want those people to show up and be their best, to give their best, to want to stay on contract with them. And all of the stuff, I mean, it's still a human being behind that contract. So even when it, there's a contract in place, the idea is the experience of working for us as an organization should feel like you are, still in, you know, that, that you are in a healthy relationship, whether it's an assumed contract or a real contract. I think it, it it reminds me of like in relationships, when people come into a relationship, you know, some people, you know, personal relationships or romantic relationships, we can come into the relationship thinking we're looking for marriage, you know, people that are motivated by a long-term partnership. Other people come into it for a much more short-term transactional, hey, I enjoy being with you, or I'm looking for someone to kind of be a companion for some part of my life, but I'm not thinking long-term. But in both cases, people have expectations about how they want to be treated and how they want to feel in the context of that, of that relationship. And that's still what makes it work, regardless of what the foundational agreement is as to, to why we're here.
0: You're listening to HR Examiner's Executive Conversations. Benefit Ed helps your workforce get the most out of your employer match program. Employee Choice, offered exclusively by Benefit Ed, enables employees to decide if they want their employer match contributions to be allocated to student loan repayment, retirement, or both. Increase plan participation and offer an innovative benefit without a drastic increase in overall benefit spend. Compete for the best and build your dream team. Learn more at youbenefited dot com slash hrx. That's y o u benefit e d dot com slash hrx. I'm wondering, as as we talk, I'm wondering about this idea of a healthy relationship, and 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 I know mm-hmm. from from my experience, and God knows, I might be the worst person in the world to to <laughs> um, to, to try to think about relationships, but but my experience has been. That about every time I thought I understood what a healthy relationship was, I was setting myself up for another round of very difficult learning um <laughs> so, so, yeah. so over the over the increasingly large number of years in my life what's what's been true is is that that I find that I don't really have a grasp of what it means to be in a healthy relationship. And it's something that I'm learning about. And I learn about it, I think, more the older that I get rather than, than less the older that I get. So so this idea that you set up the hurdle of having a healthy relationship, I wonder if any of the people involved understand what that means.
1: I think that's a really good point. And, and certainly none of this is easy, right? If if, <laughs> if If having healthy relationships was easy, we wouldn't have you know, 50% divorce rates, and we wouldn't have all of the, the stuff that's going on in relationships. So I, I think it's right. I don't know that, I think, I think people could benefit from probably thinking about and learning and studying relationships, human relationships in their personal lives too. Most likely, we, we generally kind of, much like, much like a lot of things we do that are human is we just assume because we're human and we're around people that we don't really need to study this. We know how to do relationships because we're we're in relationships with people all the time, but having a healthy relationship with anyone, and I mean, I've learned this the same way You know, with my marriage. I'm on my second marriage. My first marriage was a disaster. That would certainly not have qualified as a healthy relationship, but the more that I've been in it, the more I've studied it, the more that I've experienced it, the more you learn certain things are, are fundamentally important and you learn things that, that you can do. And, and honestly, I take a lot of, you know, I draw a lot of, of insight for the work of, you know, the, the work that's in the book comes from my own personal experiences, both good and bad with relationships. But there is a lot of, I mean, there is some research that's been done. There are some foundational things. And I don't think you have to be perfect as you know, you just continue to work at it, right? You try to, you just try to be the best you can. And part of relationships is knowing that you're gonna make mistakes and things are gonna go haywire. And part of a healthy relationship is also things like, how do we repair that when things happen? When things go wrong, when I fail you, how do we stay whole? How do we have that conversation? And, and that's all part of it. And so it's nothing easy about it. This is not a, this, this is not a quick fix book. It's not a silver bullet. It's for people that are willing to do the work, but I think it's the right kind of work, and it's a journey, for sure.
0: That's a really interesting idea. So I get, because I have excelled at living inside of a hierarchy, I get what it means to have failed the boss. I don't think I have the teeniest, itsy-bitsy experience ever, anywhere, at any point in time of having a boss um, say, oh, yeah, this is a relationship, and I failed you. Here's how I'm going to make that better.
1: That, uh, yeah. That's an awesome idea. Well, it is, and it's important. I mean, that—that that is, I mean, that's kind of at the heart of the changing the nature of this because so many bosses, like even well-intentioned people, I run into people that work in HR that when I talk to them about this idea and I explain some of this, they're like. So you mean I'm supposed to say I'm sorry, or you mean I'm supposed to actually involve my employees in a conversation about what their priorities are or what their goal, like isn't that, I thought that's what managers were supposed to do. And so it's very, even people that kind of have a sense of this work, it's a really hard shift to make. But I know that I catch people off guard with that as a leader or as a manager is that, Sometimes you just have to go and say, "Listen, I screwed that up." One of my one of my mentors, uh, Cy Wakeman, talks about she talks about like taking a mulligan as a leader, you know, um, for golfers, right? You know, a do-over. If you screw up a if you screw up a conversation or you handle something poorly, like why not call them back in and say, "Hey, you know, let's can we try that over?" Because I made a mess of that yesterday, and you deserve better than that for me as a as a manager or a leader. And it's amazing when you do that, what that does for the relationship with the employee. It's pretty
0: powerful. That's, well, it sounds powerful, but, but the idea of a of, of manager actually being accountable to the people who work for her uh, strikes me as actually kind of edgy uh, and, and hard to imagine. It's, it's, you know, there's been talk about it over the years about setting up holocratic organizations or, or organizations that reduce the level of hierarchy, but in practice, there are not very many good role models.
1: There aren't, but there are some. There are some. And I mean, as. Um, and, and that was part of when I was working on the book, part of what I tried to do is find those organizations or find, find organizations that had, that were out ahead of us, that were proving it was possible because, you know, I, I know that I, I have, and i much like, I think what your reaction is right now is that oftentimes when you hear about this stuff and you think about ways that the workplace should, or could be better, it becomes very quickly, it's very easy to kind of lose faith because you're like, well, okay, that sounds like a great idea, but I don't, like, where is it happening? I mean, I know so many more people that are having the bad experience and the good experience that when I went and started talking to some of these organizations and asking for recommendations of companies I could talk to you to profile in the book, potentially, when you go and talk to them and you hear what they're doing and how they're doing it, it becomes, for me anyways, it was very affirming that there are companies doing it that are proving that doing it differently and better is possible. And not only possible, but that it's really good for results, but that it looks very different. I mean, it doesn't have to look the same. There's no one right answer, but there are companies doing it. I do think it's still the minority, but that's where we have to start is, you know, you have to prove to someone oftentimes that it's possible or that it works, right? It's that, I need to show me first before I'm going to be willing to do this. Even though it seems incredibly obvious that it's the right path to do, it's still, still a different path. And so um, I do think there are companies out there. I tried to share some of those stories in the book.
0: Great. You want to talk about an example?
1: So there, there's two companies that I was particularly blown away by uh, in the book. The, the one that, the, the two that, that I'll, I'll share Um, and I'll share both because they, you can go learn about actually both of them. They, they also are sort of transparent in sharing some of that. One is a company called Menlo innovations. They've been talked about um, by a number of other people because they have such a unique culture. They are way um, what I would say is sort of, they're probably a, a, a more radical example because they're a software development shop up in, in Michigan that, Um, They are an, an agile shop. They run in the way that they organize work is actually really different. But one of the things that I love, I'll give you an example that the thing from the story that I love to share most from what they do, that the practice that I think proves what is potentially possible is as a software development shop, first off, they have a, they're very values driven and they, their values drive how they work. And, One of the things that they believe fundamentally kind of as a core value is that your job is very much of a team collaboration environment to the point that as software developers, they do, they have basically two, it's two heads or four hands, one keyboard kind of approach. So they code in teams. So one person has their hands on the keyboard and is actually writing code and another developer is sitting there with them and they're collaboratively creating code together, which is really interesting. Um, but that's not even the thing that makes it most interesting. But there's this fundamental value is that they they believe their job is to make, the, make the, their partner look great. Like that is, it's all about helping other people perform better. And so one of the practices they have organizationally is something called a feedback lunch. And this is how they have This is how they do feedback or get their sort of, instead of a performance appraisal or whatever, they do a feedback lunch, and it happens once or twice a year. The employee actually initiates it, so they go and they initiate the the feedback lunch, and then they identify usually five or six people who they have worked with the most closely over the course of that last performance period. They invite those people to be a part of their feedback lunch. Once they have that identified, they send out sort of an email or a note to them saying, you know, here's when it's going to be, and usually it's a couple weeks out, and here's some things that I specifically like feedback about. They then come together um, very literally over a lunch period in a conference room where these five or six people then provide feedback to the individual who requests it. They give them the, you know, the good and the bad and essentially what they need to move forward. The, The employee is there to ask questions. And, it, and and then at the end, oftentimes if they have time, the, the group that's there asks the individual for feedback like "How could we better support you?" and then they go back to their work and it's, uh, I, I was really cynical about that at first because I thought I mean I just think about defensiveness and when I tell people about this you can see their face like crinkle up or sort of you see horror kind of wash over their face um, because that's what they're thinking and I asked them why why do you think it works because it doesn't sound you know like I can just see all these ways that would go wrong and they said well it's because we have such trust in our culture um, because of this commitment to one another when we walk into that room um, together when I go in for my feedback lunch I know that the tough feedback they're going to give me or whatever they're going to give me like they're not giving it to me for any other reason than that, that they're committed to seeing me succeed. Like I believe that. And because I believe that they can tell me whatever they want to tell me and I can take it um, because the relationship is whole, right? The trust is whole, the intentions are good. And so I, that's one that I think is, is really remarkable, but it also suggests how broad and important the broad, you know, the, the, the work is. This isn't just about some, you can't just go into your organization and say, we're going to start doing feedback lunches tomorrow, because if you don't have trust, if you don't have that, that connection underlying it, it's not going to work very well. But that's one that I think is really amazing. You
0: are listening to HR Examiner Radio. Are you looking for a new way to attract and engage top talent? Add student loan repayment to your benefits lineup. Benefit Ed makes it easy to offer this in-demand benefit any time of year. Simple administration for you, simple sign-up for employees. With programs to help pay down student loans or save for college, Benefit Ed helps meet the education goals of employees at any life stage. Compete for the best and build your dream team. Learn more at youbenefitedcom slash HRX. That's YOU Benefit E D dot com slash H R X. So we're coming to a to, to the end of the time together, and it sounds like You have an idea about how to take people towards this um, goal. Um,
1: Can you talk a little bit about what you
0: do in a consulting gig?
1: Most of the time, what I have found is that most organizations that work well or that I work well um, with from my end are organizations that have recognized that we need to do something, we need to do something differently. Um, They maybe even have tried to do some things differently. They might be, you know, investing in some engagement survey processes or have put in some other tools or trying some different things, but they're not getting the results they need. And oftentimes where I come in is it's sort of helping them step back for a minute, clarify intentions, figure out what it is we're trying to accomplish, and then help them understand where, where and how to invest their time and energy more effectively so that they can start prioritizing and making some progress. And so my the, the way that I work tends to be more I describe it more as advisory because I find that organizations have good smart people internally that are, you know, working towards the solution but they just aren't they can't necessarily see the path. And so I help them figure out what the right path is and get them focused and then and then usually they are, you know, sort of emboldened to go to go make it happen at that point.
0: It. and so so let's double back. What's the name of the book, and where do we get a copy?
1: So the book is called Unlocking High Performance, and it's for sale kind of anywhere that books, uh, anywhere you like to buy your book. Um, you can buy it uh, in a in a like Kindle or ebook format right now. It's available online anywhere. The print version of the book will be available in the uh, in the U.S. on October twenty-eighth. But uh, would love it if people would go pre order a copy now. Um, you can find that Amazon or anyplace else.
0: Great. So take a moment and reintroduce yourself and um, let's ride on into the sunset. Tell people how to get a hold of you.
1: Well, you can, easiest place to find me is my website, which is jasonlauritson.com. My last name is L A U R I T S E N. So JasonLawrence.com, or if you punch Jason Lawrence into your Google search box, you'll find a lot of different ways to get a hold of me. Um, reach out; I'd love to hear from you.
0: Thanks. Really appreciate you taking the time to do this, Jason, and congratulations on getting the book published.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me, John. I really appreciate you.
0: Well, well, thanks everybody for listening. We've been talking with Jason Lawrence, who is the author of a new book. Uh, you can get it in Kindle and other electronic formats now, or A hard copy as of the 28th of October. It's called Unlocking High Performance, and it is about the development of work as a relationship rather than a contract and how you manage that. Thanks for listening. Thanks again, Jason, and we will see you next week. Bye-bye now.